What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Hardcore Troubadour. My name is Brian Wallace. My name is Tyler Short, and we're sorry this episode's late, y'all. Um, we've had some busy lives at the moment. Um, it, yep. And it, this episode has been pushed back maybe five or six times, and um, a lot has happened in both of our lives. A lot has happened in the world in general since we um, were supposed to record this. So yes. regardless of what is currently going on in in the Gaza Strip, we would have been talking about a lot of these things for this episode because this is a incredibly politically charged record That's of right. Jerusalem. Um, I've got a ton of opinions and a ton of thoughts, and I want to read a ton of lyrics today because this is one of the most important Steve Rowe records to me. Um, and I've got a fun journey with it, I think. Um, but before that, Brian, it's been so long. How are you doing? It's been long, man. I'm doing okay. Um, been taking care of babies and working a job that I don't love, but that, you know, helps me pay for those babies. I was about to say, you know, we were, Tyler and I were chatting, Tyler and I were chatting a little bit before we started. And, um, I have a lot of coworkers who changed their, um, like Slack messaging avatars, uh, to Israeli flags, um, in this past week. So, um, yeah, if any of them get wind of this, it could be my, the end of my employment there, but, um, we'll, we'll let that be what it is, man. Cause I don't, I don't really care, but yeah, man, I've been, um, I've been taking care of the babies, doing some potty training and, um, yeah, just successful potty training or, you know, we're, we're batting about 750 now, which is pretty good, but you know, one accident is, uh, is one too many in this world. You need to get um, one of those, uh, one of those days since last incident. Um, yeah, dude. I mean, hour, <laughs> it would be hours actually. Oh no. I mean, he's dude, he's such a trooper, man. He loves, he, he tells me when he's got to go. Um, but sometimes he's already started going when he tells no. me, uh, the other thing I got to report about little man is that he is a big fan of the clash. Uh, we listen to music while we're like eating and like stuff like that at the table. And sometimes I ask him what he wants to listen to and he'll just, you know, like sometimes he'll like hum songs or like, kind of like say parts of the words. And he wanted to hear law one law one. And I was like, took me a second right and i was like yeah. oh i fought the law in the law one and so um we've been listening to the clash on repeat not just that song so that's made me pretty happy Dude, uh, but that, yeah that rule i mean honestly would i think my exposure to the clash as a kid was the movie gross point blank mm, yes. um, and i was probably like nine or ten been a fan since didn't Absolutely. even know it was punk just thought it was catchy music that's right. That's right. I mean, so it's so cool. I love to, I, I've always tried to find the documentary again. I feel like one time I saw this doc that was talking about how in the early eighties, when the, the, the summer that Cla the clash played um, Shea stadium and there's a, there's a double live LP from that show that I have. Um, and fun fact, REM on their first big national tour ever was the opening act um for the class i wonder how many times you've brought up rem on this podcast at this point not enough um 
<laughs> but I'll say I'll say this, like us thinking about the Clash primarily as like a you know foundational punk phenomenon, right? Like it just wasn't on my radar that in like you know 1983, Rock the Casbah was like a radio hit. Hit, yes. And and there was this amazing footage from New York that summer of like folks in the streets with like a boom box, like shaking their ass in the streets to rock the Casbah. Um, so pretty fucking sick. So, you know, Kieran's part of a proud tradition there, but yeah, man, I'm, I'm living this, this episode was um, a long time coming and it's just good to be back here with you, Tyler. Fuck yeah, man. I've, you've been uh, doing a lot, man. You've been a road dog. You've been. Yeah. I've played, played I've been injured. I've, been to a ton of shows in in town we had four shows in one week that's a, amazing back to back shows too like two shows three days later two shows it was constraint played with uh magnitude and morning from the uk and then the next day was military gun and big laugh and mm -hmm. uh then a few days later was anxious and then the next day was spy so those are some killer gigs man all different vibes it's been it's been fucking cool it's been awesome in louisville right now um i thought i had a broken rib for a while um i'll just run down my birmingham experience i did talk to your friend daniel seasick records i did talk to him literally one of the last people i talked to before leaving um i uh and I'll get there. Um, so we get down there. We get there for Throwdown on the big stage. It is so sad. Um, mm. I kind of just wander around for a while until I think I'm wearing my piebald shirt that I got at Furnace. But uh, piebald might be the first band I intentionally watched. Mm. Um, they sounded great. They were having a great time. The crowd was not there that stage there was three stages there's the big stage that had bands that had no business to be on it and then the bands that absolutely had to be on it mm -hmm. um and then there was a a pop punk more so stage that and then there was the hardcore stage which is where we played and where a lot of the the heavier acts um played the hardcore but, uh, stage was the one that was actually in front of the furnace like the, yes. the main yeah sloss yes. stage yeah Yes. And um, the first day there was a substage below it because, again, there was there were barricade ish on the pop punk stage, but they let people you could climb on top of this little barricade and jump off. So, like, there was no like policing behavior at these things, really. Um, but there was a substage, except there was a little bit of policing by security on the the furnace stage, especially during hate breed. In which I was kind of made to chill out for a second, fuck, because I was being a, I was being a fucking menace. But uh, there was one point where I uh, I was grabbed by security and I just sat down on the stage in you, protest of what was happening. To me. I just went dead. I just went limp. <laughs> and there's a photo of me sitting on the stage looking straight at my friend Heather while she takes a picture of me making a frowny face. But <laughs> as soon as I felt the guy kind of realize like I was just kind of like going dead weight, I just exploded and went and did a flip off the stage and then left because I was like, well, I'm on the radar now. They're going to be looking out for me. I've got to I'm just done. They, they played filth. I was I'd seen my I'd gotten my fill. 
Um, but uh, yeah, it was it was awesome. I was also wearing my Brace War fucks on the first date shirt, Hell yeah. which uh, Caleb was pretty upset with me for wearing because he had to be seen in public with me the entire drive down to Birmingham. Um, some dude at a gas station asked me if he could take a picture of my shirt, which was awesome. Um, but yeah, so that was sick. Um, and then I got to see a little bit of MXPX before they made me leave. Um, they sounded great. Who's, who's they? Everyone in inclination. Oh, I see. Yeah. You had business. They fucking hate me, dude. I want to watch bands and they just don't like it. They hate that. I want to be I mean, there. MXPX um, rules too. It was but, awesome. They sounded yeah. so good. They said, yeah, dude, they, they played here like a few years ago and it was so sick. Yeah, we're Yeah. Um, but uh next day, bright and early, is uh I think Foreign Hands was the next day and Mind Force, and that was awesome. Fuck, I can't remember. Maybe Drain played that day too. That day's kind of a blur because that's the day I got hurt. Um I think Military Gun and Scowl were that day too. They played on the pop punk stage. They were the first bands I saw get a good mm. reaction and like crowd at that stage high viz played the big stage i was having a religious experience during their set i was going crazy so good blowing my voice out the day before we have to play singing along um but uh that day too was youth of today and turnstile and gorilla biscuits and i think maybe terror terror was that day too it was it's insane. All it that was in a, one day. That's it insane. was a big day. And a lot yeah. of that was on the same stage. Yeah. Um, but uh I did a part during terror. I fucked it up. It was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> um did anybody notice? Yes. Did Scott notice? Yeah. I came in early. I came in early and I like made a face and like laughed. And then I and then I came in when it was supposed to. Um, but it was fun. Um, during I had three bad stage dives all weekend. They were all during Gorilla Biscuits, and the first one was a front flip to my back on the ground, in which I thought I broke ribs. Jesus! But turns out I just did something to my muscle that is still not exactly righteous yet. But I think I'm getting there. I'm doing yoga every day. I'm trying to keep it warm and moving, and I don't know. I don't know. I'm I'm trying. <laughs> The crowd was that loosely packed that you hit the ground. Yeah. It was pretty sad. It was, that uh, sucks. yeah. Um, there were no stage dives for you today, but the majority of people moshing were under 30. That's cool. So I'm going to take that as a win. That was cool. That's a, that's definitely, a win. um, but, uh, and then I gotta say, day, oh, oh, sorry. Gotta say too. I mean, I obviously I haven't seen this performance. Ain't nothing to do with the band. They're still ripping. They rock too. Yeah. Like their energy is there. Like, I mean, obviously Ray and Purcell better shape in their fifties, maybe than they've been their entire life. Dude, just they rip. Um, so yeah. Purcell looks crazy too. He does. Um, that's all yoga, man. So I'll get to that. Um, (laughs) so next day, um, next day we play, um, it went pretty well, I think. Um, you wore a Steve Earl shirt, I saw. Wore, yep, I wore my Copperhead Road <laughs> shirt. Um, I, uh, I'm i trying to think of what else was that day. One King Down was awesome. Strife was awesome. I talked about how if you're not watching them, then you have no business watching us. 
Um, but uh, yeah, it was it was it was really cool. And dude, it was it was an awesome weekend of getting to like meet people that like I really look up to. I got to sing a song with Strife, which was cool. Yes. It was it was really awesome. It was just a ton of um, a ton of rewarding conversations with lots of people who like not just because they like big up inclination and were like had genuine interest in my band, but it really felt like just a genuine interest in like meeting people and having conversations and like just I got to really talk for long periods of time with tons of people that I never talked to before and then people that I never get to talk to that much. Um, but after the judge set, which I wasn't, wasn't planning on participating during, but I'm watching judge this band that is the reason at 17 years old, I decided to be straight edge and they're playing, take me away. They're opening yep. with it. Mm -hmm. I'm watching it. And I am like, cause I've, I had a feeling with judge originally where I didn't want to see it because I was like, well, they're all old. There's no way they could mean it anymore. Um, it's going to be washed. Like. I would much rather see like a bunch of kids who are 16 or 17, 18, 19 cover judge than actually see judge play because those people are probably going to feel it more than the members of judge would feel it in, you know, 2018, 2016, whenever those judge reunions were happening. But while I'm watching them play, take me away. I have the realization I've never seen this song played live before. Hmm. Did you, you, but you've seen judge before? No. Oh, okay. I was about to I'd say that's, I, I'd always avoided is, it because I was mm, afraid it would it would somehow and, soil but, this meaningful thing to me. By the way, the passage of time, 2013 were the reunions. It's already been okay. over 10 years since they've that's been back. Crazy. I've got a in Kieran's room actually is a busky print from the black from and the blue first one shows. Yeah. So yeah, and that's the thing is I heard how magical it was, but I was like part of me that just couldn't believe it. And I'm watching them and I'm like. I'm like, I'm at least going to watch. And they're playing Take Me Away. And I'm like, I've never seen this song covered before. And then I realize I'm like, wait a second. I've only seen about four or five songs covered before. They're going to play like 12, 13 songs. If I'm going to stand back here and watch a bunch of songs that I've loved since I was 17 be played, I may never get another chance to see some of these songs played live in front of me before. Mm -hmm. And I went from the stillest person during their set to the craziest person during their set. Okay. I was going off. I was going off to a degree that I think other people like were kind of like wigged out <laughs> by how much I was singing along and moshing during judge. Um, but it was a fucking awesome. It was so dark. It was so intense. And then after they played, I was like, you know what? I'm not the guy who's going to go talk to Mike Judge or anything, but I'm going to go say something to Porcel. Hell yeah. And I hopped on stage and I was like, I walked up to Porcel. He's, you know, taking his guitar off. And I was like, hey, I was like, I just want to say like, you're you're like this band is one of the reasons I'm, I became straight edge, you know, I was 17 years old. But more importantly, in my in my early 30s, you are one of the reasons why I didn't have hang ups on starting to do yoga. Like for a long time, like I will admit, like I was like, a, oh, yoga is for girls. Like, you know, that's not something like dudes do. Like I was, a, you know, a product of the patriarchy that we live in <laughs> and I had hangups and I told him I was like straight up. I was like you and your like your in your yoga is like what has led me to take a more like healthy 
approach to exercise in my life. And so you're in an inadvertently responsible for two of the best decisions I've ever made in my life. And I just wanted to, and while I'm saying this to him, this girl's standing there, she's like, you guys should take a picture. Like, and I was like, and I was like, no, that's not what this is. I'm just, I'm just trying to like give credit to this person in a way that I think like is meaningful. And he was like, he was like, he was like, yeah, he's like, he's like, that means a lot. And he's like, um, he was like, you in a band or anything? And I was like, I was like, yeah, I was like, I'm an inclination. And he immediately lit up and he was like, he's like, he's like, you guys are awesome. And he started talking to me about how he likes inclination. And he was like, um, he was like, I did a poll on Instagram and I asked what the best straight edge band is right now. And it's overwhelmingly people said it was you guys. And he was like, and he was like, so that's really awesome. And uh, come to know, I didn't know this, but that girl who was trying to get us to take like pose for a photo, she just took a photo of us talking mm. and she posted it. And then poor Cell posted it. Mm hmm. And Hell that's yeah. crazy. Dude, <laughs> dude. We should have him on, actually. You know, he's so nice. Dude, it was like I texted I mean, uh, Javier from the Where It Went podcast because yeah. me and him tech are texting buds. And I was like, yo, I met your boy Porcel. Incredible guy. Dude, <laughs> I mean, you know, we went to Asia together, right? Have I never talked? Yeah, to you, you told yeah, me that when they, I they they let me tag along with Bold. Um, and the thing is, at the time and bringing it down which was the like judge tribute act with Purcell singing. And you, you look at it and people I've look never at it. I've heard of that. That sounds it, awesome. It was amazing. People, after the reunions happened, people kind of laughed at it, right? But I was like, you got to understand, nobody fucking thought judge was ever going to get back together. Yeah. And I was like, these were his songs. So it was, yeah, dude, it was, um, it was fucking, it was Purcell. It was my boy Vinny on drums. It was Gavin Van Vlack from Burn um, playing guitar, Tim from Bold on bass, and then Daniel Larson, who's done a few different bands um, and spent some time in H2O as well. And so, dude, same feelings though. Like, so it, it, cool. it tells you so much though about how genuine and warm of a person that Purcell is that within like a day, I went from starstruck i am who i am today because of mm -hmm. this person to like laughing my ass off because he was like man i could really use a starbucks right now <laughs> you know what i mean like and just the like you know or he would be like i mean his kids are grown now you know he'd be like skyping with his kids or whatever and just like the it, it was just great dude genuinely great dude, dude and like legit. man powerhouse but the, Purcell and Tyler from Inclination together in a picture. Dude, that's fucking straight edge Mount Rushmore right there. It's a very cute photo too. It's a very, we're it. both mid, we're both like mid sentence, like talking. Just two, two handsome men, two kings in my life. I'm, I'm, I'm so happy to hear that, man. I'm so glad you talked to him. You, okay. The, I will tell the story. There, this was a fun thing. So I walked to catering at one point. You'll find this hilarious. I walked to catering at one point and I hadn't had a shirt on since we played basically. Cause I had, I had that Steve Earl shirt on. I wasn't going to wear it all day cause I was going to get fucking ripped. Um, so I just been rocking shirtless since we played and I walked to catering. They won't let me in catering without a shirt on. Mm. So the security guard gives me a shirt out of his it? bag. United States army. <laughs> <laughs> of course. So I put this army shirt on and I wore it for a couple hours. Why not, man? It's a shirt. It was pretty funny. That's hilarious, <laughs> man.
dude, that rules. You got, yeah. dude, the, thanks for the recap. Just a, a few things. I'm one, I'm just so jealous. That's so sick. But like you also talking about going nuts at hate breed, hate breed at furnace fest has you know like being insane has like historical precedent yeah back then yeah 2002 i think i have never felt more anxious at the beginning of a set than i had when hate breed was about to start i literally felt like i was gonna throw up we were so fucking amped they had just broke big right yeah they were on ozfest and flew on an off day yeah. to come play Furnace Fest because I think they were so hungry to be like, let's play a fucking hardcore show. And Jamie said, at some point early on, make this place a fucking prison riot. And it was like, I, you know, and everybody recounts those like top whatever wildest pits you've ever been in. Um, that's That's top five for me. Dude, that's um, awesome. Where you know where you're is that that same room, right? 2002. Yeah, the sloped room in yep. front of the furnace. Dude, that's they so were headlining badass. that night. It was, um, and it was it, it was the Perseverance tour. It had just come out, um, and I was you know it was one of those things where I met, I went at one point from like moshing because I was so amped to like moshing to survive, survive. yeah <laughs> you know what i mean because it was mm-hmm. oh yeah and just imagine you know and that's the thing some of the crowds like it's hard to keep up that energy in a place that big but it just imagining like all the way up the ramp there was there was nowhere mayhem. safe dude it that's awesome and so i'm like i'm i'm so stoked to hear that you went nuts during hate breed because that's oh, how dude. it should be in that room well you're talking about moshing to survive i was diving because i couldn't stop because i kept getting pitched back up so uh, I kept having to keep diving because I couldn't get down. I kept getting because there was crowd surf crowds. So like they're not used to me doing literal spin kicks into them right. while I'm diving. Right. Um, but yeah. OK, so um, so your friend, friend Daniel. Um, so uh, leave judge. I go back to the merch table. Merch tables bare, empty. They packed everything up. So mm-hmm. I haven't been to a car that day. I got dropped off with the merch into a golf cart took it to the merch table, unpacked everything. They all came. I never left the grounds the entire day. Yeah. Don't know where they parked. I don't know anything. So I'm running loose at this, at this, uh, festival. You know what? I don't have on me. No phone, no phone. Yeah. So they packed my phone up. (laughs) So they have no idea they've done this. They packed up my only means of communication to find them at this place with like 2000 people mm-hmm. um so i'm walking and fuck i'm gonna fuck this up but uh, who fucking cares um it was a, a guy from a band i can't remember the name of his band that he was in that was playing the fest but i don't think it was really for me but he's like an old hardcore guy i think he might have been in slithering beast mm. i can't remember but this guy yeah. grabs me and he starts talking about inclination how much he loves it and he tells me what his band he's on i can't remember i, th- I thought it was slithering beast might have been something else um but uh it's something like that and i was like oh i've heard of your band and that's crazy that you're like borderline punishing me about mine right now that's pretty insane <laughs> um and then i talked to him for a minute and i'm like all right well i need to find my fucking band because i need to figure out i take two steps and i hear bouncing souls and i go 
you know what? Fuck them. They left. They left with my phone. I'll mm-hmm. fuck. I'll figure it out later. So I went. I'm and I watch the souls. I went and I watched fucking Bouncing Souls. And then after Bouncing Souls, I was walking because Prayer for Cleansing was playing, and I knew I could probably find Dave Bogger from Weapon X because he came down with us. I was like, I can mm. probably find Dave in there. Yeah. And as I'm about to walk, your boy grabs me. He's like, Yo, I'm Daniel. I'm friends with Brian. I was like, I do. The, I was. I was like, I was like, oh, the, the record, the story. God, I was like, I was like, dude, I'm so sorry. I never found you this weekend. I really meant to, but I haven't bought anything but merch from bands i haven't like spent any money on distros i was gonna do that at the end and they packed my phone and my wallet Mm. so i couldn't even like go around and spend the rest of my 80 dollars that i had for merch um but it was it was he was really nice best dude (laughs) but that's how i ran into him literally the last person i talked to he was the last person i met at the fest was was your buddy i'm just glad you talked to each other man best like shout out again seasick records birmingham alabama if you're not in alabama their web store is fucking sick. I just got, um, this is not a sponsored ad, by the way. This is just because he's my boy. I, I got the Jason Isbell Southeastern 10th anniversary box set. Ordered it from them because I was like, fuck yeah, I should get this from Alabama. That's um, awesome. And I'm a dude. And I'm such a sucker for, you know, the handwritten lyrics and stuff dude, like that. Dude, it looks I great. Feel, it looks so good. I texted I, you about it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I had to have it too because I... Traveling Alone was our first dance song at our wedding, me and Rachna. So like it was more of a like I I don't own a lot of like box set, you know, like reissues and things like that. But I was like, this is one I got to grab. So that's awesome, man. I'm This makes me so happy, man. You met like so many good people down there. Um, it was one of the most fulfilling weekends of my life. Fuck yeah. That rules. Cool. I love that. I yeah. love that. And Sounds like too, man. Sounds like Louisville hardcore is in a great fucking place right now, man. At the moment, at the moment, it's cool. It's really good. Gates to Hell tomorrow, Harm's Way on Friday, and then White Reapers playing the skate park on Saturday. Wow, dude. So yeah, that's amazing. Another week of shit. That rules. (laughs) We got some big ones, dude. I got a. I mean, speaking of Saturday night is Judge here, um, with uh, with Age of Apocalypse, Wild Side, Roll Call. And 108, how could I forget, um, at the Brooklyn Monarch, that's going to be awesome. And then the, uh, what I've, I'm looking forward to just because I, I had to make childcare arrangements to head down to Philly in a couple of weeks for unbroken blacklisted indecision momentum. Is magnitude on that, that show too? I meant magnitude, my God. Okay. I said yeah. It's I, definitely I, not I, momentum. I was, it's magnitude. Jesus. Yeah. I was talking to, I was talking to, <laughs> that's, that's a, that, that's a real mixed bill. Yeah. <laughs> momentum nope. on. Um, but, uh, um, but yeah, uh, I was talking to the magnitude guys about playing on that show and they were really excited about it. It's going to be sick. I mean, dude, yeah. the church rules anyway. I like, I've, I want to play it so bad. Yeah. You've got to at some point, man. It's, I've, I've, I mean, I haven't been to a ton of shows there, but I've never been to a bad one. Um, it's always been a blast. And so this is going to be my first time down there since before COVID. Um, so I'm pretty fucking stoked on that. Fuck yeah, um, hardcore rules, friendship rules. The world is fucked, but I'm glad we have these things. Me too. You want to talk yeah, about man. Steve Earl? Let's talk about Steve Earl. Let's talk about this Jerusalem record. Okay, um, so I... I don't, I, I, I told you in our pre-pro, there's not too much from the book regarding this record. Um, I will say we're coming up on 
the Dukes will be back into an actual thing soon. Yeah. We're still soon. in our Steve Earl era of records. Um, uh, and I, I don't think there's that many, I, I didn't even really look, but it, from what I could tell, there's not that much lineup change between this one and the last one. Mm-hmm. Um, still the twang trust and whatnot, but I do have, there is one sentence in, uh, in the book regarding Jerusalem that I think is worth reading before we get into his always lovely forwards um, for the records. But in the book, it says it's Jerusalem, a place where every answer suggests another question and the truth and the truth lies somewhere in the shadows. And that I think is such a good sum up of what this, of literally almost any one of these (laughs) songs, like at least said, Half of them, that sentence, a place where every answer suggests another question and the truth lies somewhere in the shadows. That is a, that is this record. That is this record. And I mean, you know, one of the first things I wrote is I wanted to spend some time like remembering this because now, you know, we're in the era where I was like a fan as this Mm -hmm. was coming out. And we'll talk about, you know, some individual tracks in particular, John Walker's blues that, that pissed a lot of people off right like this was this was a record that polarizing polarized yeah people talked about it but a lot of that talk wasn't because of how good it is it was Mm -hmm. just because they were um either pissed off about the lyrics or just wanted to talk about you know like just what a it, it was steve's introduction to a larger audience including a lot of like the you know right wing outrage machine um, which was obviously in full gear at this time. Uh, like some sort of a war in the culture, like some sort of culture. <laughs> some war sort of, or... exactly. A, like war, a, a war culture, perfect world. Um, <laughs> it, it was, uh, you know, and here we are less than a year after 9-11. Um, so all very prescient at this point too. Um, so yeah, I. let's just get into the songs, man. Well, let's do this let, forward real quick. Do I forward, do want to yeah. say, and I do want to say one thing about this record. This is my, this is the latest Steve Earle record I have loved. Meaning, I listened to this record at some point, and it did not hit me. Mm. And then I listened to basically all of them up until like the current canon, and then I came back to Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. And I do not know what the fuck I heard the first time that didn't send off all of the bells in my head that this is perfect. It was probably a couple of the weird vocal effects. And I think I have one <laughs> real answer, and it's I think the first time I listened to this was on headphones with one headphone in. Oh, you gotta have stereo for this, man. Yeah. I think that I think that that didn't hit this record the first time for me because I think I was at work and I just popped one headphone in and there's a ton of Steve Earl records that you can't do that with. Yeah. Unless you've heard them a million times and your brain can fill in the gaps. Right. Right. Which I can do that now. I can do guitar town with one headphone. I, mean, that, I can hear all the other parts. That was my old truck my brain. only the left side speaker worked, man. Yeah. hundred yeah. percent. But, uh, but yeah, so this this record is really special to me because it's the it's it's like I found a new Steve Earle record a few years ago, but it had been out since I was, I guess, what, twelve? 
I don't need to be reminded of how old you are. Yeah. Here, Tyler. yeah, I'm sorry about that. I okay. was in college. Yeah, well, let's get into this uh, this introduction. And this these first words like legitimately ring for me too. Lately, I feel like the loneliest man in America. Frankly, I've never worn red, white, and blue that well. I grew up during the Vietnam War, and whenever I see a flag decal, I subconsciously superimpose the caption, America, love it or leave it, across the bottom stripe. Back then, as now, it was suggested by some that second-guessing our leaders in a time of crisis was unpatriotic, if not downright treasonous. We sent 55,000 of our sons to die far from home for the belief that if we didn't arrest what we perceived as an evil empire abroad, that this last domino would ultimately fall at our own doorstep. When no enemy presented itself at the gate, we began to turn on ourselves, subjecting our own citizens to clandestine scrutiny by our law enforcement agencies and, per and persecution in our courts of law. Our newfound unity became increasingly exclusive and even divisive until we found each other in the streets of Washington, Chicago, Newark, and Watts. Well, we've survived all that, and I believe we'll survive this as well. We are a people perpetually balanced on a tightrope stretched between our history and our potential. One faltering step away from a heat or from a headlong tumble from the most dizzying of heights, but fear not, we're working with a net. God, some of Damn, these things Steve. I feel like if you could see what has happened in the last 20 years, you'd be like, maybe there's no net. What <laughs> Steve Steve is ever the optimist, despite yeah. all the you it know, is so the, optimistic. This this yeah. forward is, dude. In spite well, of our worst intentions and ignorance of our own history, our Constitution has thus far pr proven resilient enough to withstand anything that we throw at it, including ourselves. For myself, my faith in this one institution of our all-too-human and therefore imperfect society is absolute, but I hope not blind. It was built to last, but, not but only if properly maintained. Fierce vigilance against the erosion of its proven principles is the heart of our peculiar our peculiarly american brand of democracy it was framed by men whose names are taught to remember by rote thomas jefferson benjamin franklin john adams patrick henry aaron bird dot 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 the list is as long is long and distinguished and we call these men patriots in times like these it's also important to remember the names of john reed emma goldman abby hoffman bobby seal malcolm x martin luther king dot 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 those who defended those same principles by insisting on asking the hardest questions in our darkest hours. God bless America. Indeed. Steve Earl, Fairview, Tennessee, July 4th, 2002. July 4th, 2002, man. Wow. I mean, Why dude, did... so much of that is like, God, like, I know he wouldn't write that now. And right. And I think, I think that's not just because, of all that's transpired in the last 21 years since that was written. But also, I mean, man, you almost had to, you had to write like that to, yeah. to, to, if, if, if you were offering a critique mm -hmm. at all, you had to couch it in, but I still believe in the constitution kind of stuff, yeah. or you were going to be called a terrorist and a traitor yeah. and goddamn everything, you know, I mean, and and careers were ruined like not that's not hyperbole look at the dixie chicks look at so many others um the so, chicks the chicks pardon me yes they, they'll always be the dixie chicks to me yeah but no but they i appreciate <laughs> the reasons why they removed the dixie yep. from their name um but uh for 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 pretty innocuous things or that we can look back and say right and it's it also strikes me you know him looking back at like vietnam 
at that point, and now us looking back at the time after 9-11, and it's just, yeah, Steve, we survived, but the fucking, like, we survived, but again, like, how many lives were lost, how big of a hit did we all take, and I just can't help, I'm just haunted all the time by the people who were cheerleading the war and responsible for the most death and destruction can now just kind of flippantly be like, well, you know, we all, we realize that, that this was a bad idea, but there was never any consequence for them. Yep. Right. Um, mm -hmm. Every other poor people, working people, people whose names we'll never know are the ones who bore those consequences and are still bearing them, frankly. Um, so yeah, man, the more things fucking change, I guess, <laughs> the more they yeah. stay the same. Yeah, it's just crazy to think he wrote that with like such hope. I mean, well, the largest anti-war protest was had just happened in his in human history. Yep. So like there was reason to think like, oh, we're going to like we're really going to like shock ourselves into sanity right now. And yeah, instead, people just stopped giving a fuck like they yeah. always do. We had fucking fat Mike making the not my president shirts. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. it was thought it'd be enough. <laughs> really? <laughs> God damn it, man. I feel like, God, there's just so much from that time period that just, it was a, what it, it just a fascinating time to be a young person too. And I mean, um, but again, like that shit, like important, it's important to do that. It's important to be transgressive. It's important. Even oh, if absolutely. It's for no reason. Because I mean, that's the kind of shit that radicalized me. Oh, absolutely. Like, I mean, that, yeah, I'll never hate on that dude. Fucking the Rise Against songs that came out then. I remember being so stoked when, like, the, um, they had like, you know, videos playing on MTV and stuff like that. And I mean, there's a, not like, electing John Kerry in 2004 would have fucking changed no. the world. Right. But I, I, I just, I do have all these memories of thinking like, so the dude who actually did go to Vietnam is being called a coward by the dude who dodged the draft Yeah, and it's working. Like it, it, uh -huh. it worked. The, the fucking swift boat thing is the pretty much what shifted that election to W. Um, oh, crazy. And yeah, so at that time, and then it's just goddamn though, then to go like four years later and to go, I, I feel like the last time I had genuine hope, dude, I will never forget the night Obama was elected. Me was, too. Right. I was in Harlem. I saw Polar Bear Club. Fucking <laughs> sick. That rules. I was, I was on 125th street in Harlem with people literally like crying and hugging each other in the streets, man. We, I thought. Dude, look what look what we did. You know yeah. what I mean? I thought like, wow, an actual concrete step maybe towards righting some of the the wrongs that that were inherent in the the founding mm -hmm. and history of this country. And it really didn't and we last might get health care, and we might get health care. And man, <laughs> that feeling didn't last very long. Nope. Um, but yeah, so it's just it. It's just one hard to be in this place of like wow that was 21 years ago and we can still talk about all of this not just the the topics that were inspiring steve's lyrics at this very point but also the like the the, the same literal conflicts 
right? Um, yeah, it's pretty ridiculous. And none and none of it's gotten any better. Um, yeah, if we <laughs> if we had started this podcast sooner, one of the other wars that we started after this would still be going on. Yeah, yeah. Um, Just missed it by like two years. Jesus. So yeah, but I mean, yeah. it's a, um, so yeah, I, I I agree with you. I don't think Steve would write that same forward today. Um, but for a lot, maybe of he would because he'd get canceled if he wrote any other way. Maybe, but yeah, I, I do. I there was a distinctive thing. I mean, it's almost similar to like how you're not allowed to criticize. We'll talk more about this later. You're not allowed to criticize the actions that the IDF is taking in Gaza without first strongly condemning Hamas. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you know, you weren't allowed to to offer a critique of the American war effort without first showing your bona fides to prove that no, I'm a patriot. Yeah. I wave the flag. I believe in the constitution because anybody who could be like, dude, I really don't give a fuck about that. And I don't think we should send all these kids over here to die and kill other people. Um, that nobody would even pretend to listen to that. Um, but damn, man, this is a great record. I'm excited to talk about it. Yeah, dude. Ashes to ashes. Steve, the fucking vocal effects, man. Okay, I don't get it. That possibly is one of the things that put me off about this at first. I also thought the song was too slow, but and I thought it was boring and had no gas. But I really do like the song now. I think it's awesome. I think the lyrics are incredible. The lyrics are hard as fuck. The lyrics are hard as fuck. But yeah, the, the tune doesn't blow my mind. Although I do like the like the chaotic like harmonica solo. Um, yeah, that's not something that Steve does very often. I thought it worked really well here, but I just, I think the cadence of his voice is so cool in this song. Yeah, I agree. But again, vocal delivery makes it all for me. I agree. I'm super sensitive to stuff. Like I could literally just cut off those first four seconds of him saying ashes to ashes, ashes, and and then be like, just start it there. Um, Mm -hmm. but you know, it was, it was a stylistic choice and, uh, it was a decision. It was a decision much like an inclination um, song um thanks for that um yeah no dude i think god is the villain like painting god as like a villain is incredibly hard dude <laughs> yeah like an uncaring just complete like cold and i mean i don't know if steve was thinking about this but you know that's what a lot of the founders of this country believed Right. Like that was that was deism. That was like, yeah, I think there was a higher power that created all this, but I don't think he like fucks with us anymore. anymore. It was yeah. just like just he it he they the the energy put all this in motion and then left us alone. Um so interesting through there, but like, yeah, God made us in his image and it's in God that we trust. When asked about the men that had died by their hands, they said, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. Dude, that's so hard, dude. It's hard that's hard as fuck. That's so fucking hard. It's so cool. Dude, the uh, this the whole, the, a long time ago before the ice and the snow, there were giants that walked this land. And with each step they took, the mighty mountain shook, and the trees took a knee, and the seas rolled in. And then one day, they say, the sky gave way, and death rained down and made a terrible sound. There was fire everywhere and nothing was spared that walked on the land or flew through the air. And when it was all was over or when it was all over, the slate wiped clean with a touch 
their God stood and he saw it was good. He said, ashes to ashes and dust to dust. That's so fucking hard, dude. Hard as fuck. Just, I love that. Oh my God. To, to make all that rhyme, too. He, he's the goat, He's the man. professor, dude. That's the professor. He's the best, man. It's so cool. Just reminding like, God, us. Damn it, dude. It's so badass. It's so cool. Um, but yeah, that's really all I got is this song really had nothing for me. And now I would never skip it. I feel you. Even if the, even the goofy vocal effect, it is fucking sick, dude. It's a sick song. I agree. And, and, and what a great tone setter too, for the record. Yes, yes, absolutely. Uh, so let's go into America version 6.0. The best we can do. Favorite song. Right out the gate, favorite song, huh? Favorite song. Hell yeah. It, it had to be this one, dude. This is yeah. everything in my bones. And you know, it, before we talk about the lyrics and everything else too, what I love about this is this is one of the first Steve songs that I can remember where the bass line does a lot of work. The bass on this record in general. Yeah. Usually, the next few songs, the bass is, or the next two songs, at least, bass is going hard. Bass is going hard. And right. And usually the bass playing is like competent, but supports the song. It's not out front. And there's a lot of songs on this record where the bass is doing some fucking wild shit. It's, it's funky. Really cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's funky. This, this record is heavy. Yeah. And I think this is the first heavy Steve Earl record we've gotten since The Hard Way. And that is why this record hits so hard for me now. Yeah. It's because it reminds me so much of The Hard Way. And even though The Hard Way is like low in my top five, Jerusalem is like top three. This might be my favorite Steve Earl record, period. Really? It wars pretty hard with two other ones, I think. Maybe one other one. But this is, I, I don't, I would not lose a single song on this record. And I love almost every single one of them, like a lot. I love a lot of it. This is going to fall lower for me because I don't love every song, but I think the, um, honestly, like the cultural relevance in the lyrics push it super high, but this yeah. song, both musically and lyrically, I really love. Yeah. Musically this, I, this, this song is like top three for me on this record musically, I think possibly i possibly top two um there's only one song on this record that really gives this one a run for its money um but yeah i wrote this is it for me this is everything i like about every steve Earl song i enjoy <laughs> it's the frustration of back to the wall it's the aggressiveness of the hard way it's the tongue and cheeks of snake oil this song just rocks musically it grooves so much attitude um yeah, man. Whatever I well, whatever hang up I had on my first listen must have been strong because this song is everything for me. Yeah. Yeah. Dude. And I can say all this before even touching on the lyrics, which are perfect no notes. <laughs> yeah. I especially love the compassionately conservative, conservatively compassionate. Yeah. God, oh so hard, dude. I mean, dude, I like I legitimately just want to read the lyrics to this song. Read some of them. Like, I think honestly, like a lot of these songs can be just read. Mm -hmm. and for what they are but dude look at you you take a look in the mirror tell me what you see another satisfied customer in the front of the line for the american dream i remember when we was both out on the boulevard talking revolution and singing the blues nowadays it's letters to the editor and cheating on our taxes it's the best that we can do that is so cool 
So fucking good, man. It's so cool. That's such a good fucking statement of fucking sellouts, dude. Yeah. Like I can relate so much to that because like, God damn, dude, it's just. I'm still so mad every day, like every day I turn on the TV and I look for something to be angry about because that is what feels natural and normal to me. And I talk to people who are like, yeah, I just got so exhausted, like caring about things. And I'm like, fuck you, man. <laughs> it's like, it's yeah, but that's that's what it it it, it wears you down. Like apathy is so weak, dude. It is weak, but also like. I get it. That's a, it's 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 the 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 blitz of you know just insanity. It works on people. It wears them down. It makes them hopeless. I just and, get it. But I mean, I get that for normal people. I get that for normal people. But like, especially like from like punk and like what is supposed to be like a counterculture. It it isn't. But what it meant to me, like I mean, talking about Furnace Fest and Hatebreed and judge and youth of today and all of those messages that i consumed as a kid that made me want to fight back against the forces against me and be yeah. angry and care and i heard all that and i said yes and i didn't get older and go mm, not anymore like totally yeah <laughs> I, and that's i i i totally i mean and i'm the same way dude i don't i i feel like we both could probably have made our lives a lot easier by caring a lot less about yeah, so many things. Very easy. <laughs> but like, I, I, it's just not, I, I don't get the point of just hanging around waiting to die, you know? So yeah. I, I, I want to do something while I'm here, even if it's sometimes screaming into nothingness, at least that's something. Um, yeah. So I, I, I hear you, but I think I've often, I don't know. I've got the perspective of having, a couple of people in my life that I do really look up to and having seen them get, get worn down and, and me waffling between two things that I think are true. A that's fucking weak and B fuck, maybe you did the best you could. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe I that's mean, part, I... part of, maybe that's part of where the song is coming from too. Yeah, um, I guess. But dude, like fucking look around. There's doctors down on wall street, sharpening their scalpels and trying to cut a deal. Meanwhile, back at the hospital, we got accountants playing God and counting out the pills. Yeah, I know that sucks. Your HMO ain't doing what you thought it would do, but everybody's got to die sometime. We can't save everybody. That's the best that we can do. That's so cool. It's a just he wrote that in 2002. Fantastic writing. <laughs> he wrote that in 2002. He sure did. Four score and 150 years ago, our forefathers made us equal as long as we can pay. Yeah, well, maybe that wasn't exactly what they was thinking. Version 6.0 of the American way. But hey, we can build a great wall around the country. Glove to keep the riffraff out until the slump is through. I realize that ain't exactly democratic, but it's either them or us. And that's the best that we can do. Yep. That's crazy. It's very crazy. That's crazy. And I, um, I, in this, this shit, like I broke my brain. I read like a book on MMT like this year and it's got me all turned around on like what, like funding, like programs and the way the government could run and the way the economy could function and how like, a, like America being like a sovereign currency, like there's so many things that are opened up for America to do 
that we're going to need to do as the population ages into needing more services than we can provide. Um, and I read this and I'm like, man, he really understood this. Absolutely. 20 years ago. Yeah. I mean, like, this is an incredible well, critique. And it's also just a good reminder too, of like there, there is more than enough for all of us. Um, yeah. but, but we've certain people and the system that we all participate in have, have chosen to make it otherwise. Right. And like everything, everything is based on this idea of scarcity. Yeah. Um, which is, you know, held up falsely. Right. Um, so yeah, like that, to that point, like we, when I hear people like ramble about like, well, you know, the national the deficit, debt, I'm like made up, not real. Fuck you. Yeah. Just to say like that, but it will be conveniently used as an excuse for why, you know, the government can't do the bare minimum. Um, the, to the, take most, care of people. the most disqualifying thing anybody can ever say is bring up Milton Friedman while they're trying to talk about like the economy and whatnot. I think that should be met with a fist to the face every single time. <laughs> Dude, I've been getting these crazy ads on YouTube. I text you about them all the time. Because you watch fucking like PragerU videos to well, like no, see I what I get they're... them advertised to me, oh. dude. I've well. woken up, I've woken up three days in the last like in the last week. I've woken up three days. I got a PragerU video about how I shouldn't how America's not racist, actually. Um, I got a video of just some guy talking about how you shouldn't complain about like the way America is and how we're all lucky. And it's like a 15 minute video. It read me to like looking up the guy and then finding like a bunch of videos on Thomas Sowell, which made me like, which made me realize that like, I think the reason I am the way I am is because I when I was little, I used to read the editorials a lot and I could kind of see through the bullshit in the paper and they always would publish Thomas Sowell and Charles Krauthammer. Oh my God. Yeah, and I would fuckers. read them every day. I would read Thomas Sowell and, and Charles Krauthammer. And I was like 15 and I could tell that they were full of shit at 15. Yeah. I could tell that these guys were just wrong. But if they I'm... were syndicated every single day in the liberal paper. Well, I mean, that shit still, I mean, and today it's fucking Thomas Friedman and David Brooks and all these other and who, they're wrong about everything, but they collect seven figure checks to just continue to be wrong and say the same stupid bullshit. They make so much more money than us. They do, man. They really do. They've never worked um, a real job in their lives. They haven't. Um that sucks. And there are days that I'm jealous and there are other days that I'm like, well, they'll also. Die like uh, everybody else. Yeah, that's true. Um <laughs> Man, you you made me one of your comments there made me think of something like Well, yeah, dude, yeah, we could go down a huge rabbit hole in like the YouTube algorithm because I realized I was watching speaking of I was watching a video about a Greek Orthodox church in Gaza that's been used as um as like a shelter and it's not like a you know, they it's not like the IDF has agreed not to attack it or whatever, but mm -hmm. just currently a lot of people who have lost their homes are taking shelter there and not, you know, not just Christians. Um, and uh, then I was like, this is a, interesting. I wanted to learn a little bit more about the history of this church and like the, you know, the Palestinian Christian population, which 
you know, a lot of people don't even realize it's massive, but is, but is massive. Right. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you start watching videos about ancient Orthodox Christianity. Uh, they think, Oh, you like this? You might like Jordan Peterson. Cool. Yeah. (laughs) And I'm like, (laughs) these things actually are not connected at all. Cool. But, um, (laughs) but, but that's, you know, like uh, it's 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 disgusting how quickly it does. or I've told you this too. Like my son wants to watch a video about cars, and they're like, "Well, if you like cars, you must really be into misogyny." Um, so here's expression fit. Yeah, I'm like, God <laughs> damn it, dude! Fucking hell! But uh, well, speaking yeah. of conspiracy theory, conspiracy theory with our our friend uh, Siobhan Kennedy from River City People makes another she appearance. kills it on this song, dude. She really does. Um. The music on this song is a little corny, um, but Siobhan's voice is fantastic. And I mean, the the lyrics, there, there's there's one, uh, there's, a, there's a set of lines on this one that just like hit, hits me to my fucking bones, man. Um, Half a million soldiers fly across the water. One in 10 are never coming back again. 50,000 sons who never grew to fathers. Don't you ever wonder who they might have been? Fuck. Yep. Yep, it's uh, and and it, I mean, harken back to Copperhead Road. They draft the white trash here first, anyway. Mm-hmm. Yep. And you think like all of these people who like the people who are lost to the people who like could have like I don't know like made a difference in this country like actually because the people who are in charge of the country don't want to make a difference. They want to keep it going the way it's always gone in the way they want it to continue to go i don't know dude this song uh i wrote this song is giving is really giving steve Earl knows me <laughs> dude i love that and i mean i said you know it, it also strikes me like it's an it's another example of how twisted the like extreme pro-life arguments are around like well, we don't know who that we don't know who that fetus would mm-hmm. would grow up to be because the same people who say stuff like that have no issue at all with preventing voice overseas, yeah. so so much other young life from mm-hmm. ever reaching their full potential. Um, so it's like they got to be born though. Yeah, and is you know that's fucking. They sick, got to be born, know? which means they got to suffer the pain of dying. Yeah, you you get to be, you know, yeah, that's the thing. Yeah, it's about like Christ. Yeah, I mean, it's it's, the thing is, they got to be born and then sent to their death in which now their death is going to cause so much pain and suffering with their family. Right. And it's, it's I mean, yeah, when somebody's aborted, all, you know, maybe the mom goes through some traumaticness over losing that. Maybe the relationship is strained because of dealing with the trauma like that. But at the end of the day, you didn't have a human being and then send them their death. Right. It minimizes suffering. And yes. if and if anything, I mean, I I was actually just thinking about. I read this article coming out of Texas just about you know all the like so many women who recently, you know, since Roe was overturned, being forced to give birth to to babies who you know suffered in anguish for a few minutes before they died and the yep. doctors had known for months that that was what mm-hmm. was, gonna that was going to happen yep. and previously they would have made the compassionate decision which would have been to terminate the pregnancy and that would have been the compassionate thing 
for both the the fetus and for the mom, but they're not allowed to do that anymore. And so it just amplifies suffering a thousandfold um, because now the parent has the trauma of I saw the child and they like, you know, they spent their 15 mm -hmm. minutes on earth gasping for breath because their fucking lungs didn't work. And we knew the doctors knew since, you know, for six months that that's exactly what was going to happen. But, um, <clears throat> you know, your version of big white man in the sky said that that's what he wants. So, um, you know, it's crazy. Cause that also probably meant like some like money was circulated within the healthcare industry more than would have been if that child had been able to just be avoided. Oh, absolutely. So it's like some, some money moved around more and maybe more, more money was extracted from the mother or the family. Oh yeah. Go with that. Uh, right now, now instead of a procedure, nobody that, talks about that. Right. Instead of a <laughs> procedure that, uh, you know, costs a few hundred bucks and you could go home the same day. Um, now you've been in the hospital for a while and you've had to see multiple staff and, you know, aftercare. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and the, the doctors who are at the middle of it, you know, so many of them are, are leaving because yeah. they've been put in this, it's like, I, mm -hmm. I don't want to get fucking charged with a felony for doing my job. So yeah, dude, um, it's fucking crazy, man. Yeah, Three yeah. maternity wards in Alabama closing just this week because of, you know, like it's nobody can't, can't work. So even, even for it's going to harm, you know, moms and babies where the circumstances are good and they, you know, like are chose, you know, that they, they wanted to bring the life into the world because they're not going to get adequate care either because of this. So yeah, just unbelievably fucked man. And um, that ain't a damn conspiracy theory. It's all right there for everybody yeah. to see. Well, dude, the conspiracy theories he talks about in this, the are so like, I think it's awesome that he talks about the JFK conspiracy and the MLK conspiracy in here. Mm -hmm. as like legitimate things that like were hinge points in american society like what if yeah whatever killed jfk didn't conspire to kill him yeah and like i and that leads me to like something i definitely wanted to bring up like when regarding this in general and thinking about hinge points in american society but jfk um I'm reading this book, uh, American Exception, right now. Mm. And there's a part where they talk about JFK and FDR as um, actual like dangers to like um, United States, like hegemony and like our like um, like the power elite because they come from they came from elite families. So they were able to not have to worry about how they're going to continue to i don't know like afford the you know the luxuries of life or anything like that so like jfk was able to actually like try to push back against the forces that were going on in america that wanted to keep things going the way it was going and fdr was much the same where like talking about obama's presidency like obama wasn't he's not an elite mm -hmm. he's now yeah but he wasn't, he wasn't and that's why yeah. he had to play ball and he had to play the game and it talked about like how like fdr and jfk were able to buck that a little bit and how it was kind of funny because it was like man this is really like counter to everything i think in the world that like you know these people these powerful people need to be like removed 
because they shouldn't have that ability to like move things. But then it basically like lays out like, well, in certain situations when people of like immense wealth and power are put in, put in control, they actually had the ability to push back against their own class in a way that people who aren't part of it might just get fucking shot. And then yeah. apparently, even if you are part of it, you might just get fucking shot. Yeah. I mean, they, they, they might not use the term class betrayal, but that is exactly, that is the, the gravest sin in their yeah. eyes. You know? Oh, and in, in theirs for sure. For, yeah. for our class, it's fine. It's perfectly cool. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It's so it's so cool actually when we betray yeah. our class. Yeah. Um, but yo, on on a lighter on a lighter note, before we get into really depressing shit, I thought of the funniest conspiracy realization the other day. Did you know, Brian? Because it had not occurred to me for the rest of our lives, people are going to think Donald Trump is still alive. Dude, I hadn't thought. Isn't of that crazy? But yes, they absolutely are. They they are going to refuse to believe that he's dead. If, if we um, live to be 80, mm-hmm. people are still going to think Donald Trump is alive. That's wild, man. Isn't that nuts? It, it I mean, God damn That's it. so cool. <laughs> and who knows? Maybe he will be. Henry Kissinger's still alive. So Dude, I've been <laughs> fucking people up with that left and right lately. Dude, yeah. yeah. I'm just, I'm just sitting here processing it yeah that will yeah. be uh oh it, or it'll be like well he's yeah he's just been in high he's coming back yeah. he's mm-hmm. actually been yes. running things the whole time mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i can't wait yeah it's so cool it's so yeah. fucking cool god i love yeah. living in this fucking brain warped <laughs> country it's amazing it's very neat <laughs> it's so cool um yeah. I thought you'd appreciate that. I do appreciate that, man. I'm still, I'm still processing it. My, it's blowing my mind right now. Let's talk about John Walker's blues because there's just there's a lot to fucking say here. Is this your favorite song? It's my favorite song. I knew it and, was gonna be. I, yeah, you. I'm I'm usually pretty easy to read with these kinds of things, and I think you always like the most important one. Usually, <laughs> I'm a basic bitch. Um, well, this one isn't basic. It's just important. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's true. It's not basic. There's like. It, musically there's some chaos here um and i actually wrote like the first thing i wrote before we dig into the story and and the lyrics is this is the one that right-wing maniacs shit their pants about <laughs> musically the driving beat plus the chaos of the ways that the guitar and the harmonium work together remind me a, remind me a little of tom waits there's like mm-hmm. some there's some like avant-garde weirdness yeah. in the song um it's an unsettling song. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if you, I found a quote um, from Spin Magazine, an interview that Steve Earle did with Spin. Um, about 10 years later, months before the, in, so in 2012, before the 10th anniversary of 9-11. And um Earl told Spin that part of the song's inspiration too was that his own son, Justin Towns Earl, at the time was the same age as yep. John Walker Lind. I'm looking at the same quote. Yeah, yeah. So I'll read it. I wrote that song because no one else was fucking going to. And I did it because my son Justin is exactly the same age as John Walker Lind. So I saw a skinny 20-year-old kid, very similar looking to my own firstborn son, duct taped to a fucking board in Afghanistan. 
my first thought was, oh my God, he has parents somewhere. And I respond to some things as a man, some things as a boy, some things as an artist, and some things as a parent. And I responded as a parent. Oh, damn. Actually, completely different quote. Oh. But similar. What what do you have? I don't condone what Lent did. Uh, Still, he's a 20-year-old kid. My son, Justin, is almost exactly Walker's age. Would I be upset if he suddenly turned up fighting for the Islamic Jihad? Sure. Absolutely. Fundamentalism, as practiced by the Taliban, is the enemy of real thought and religion, too. But there are circumstances. He didn't just sit on the couch and watch. He didn't just sit on the couch and watch the box get depressed and complain. He was a smart kid. He graduated from high school early. The culture here didn't impress him. So he went looking for something to believe in. Mm -hmm. And like, that's the thing. Both of those quotes are incredible. Those are incredible. And I think there's something here too about some of the reaction to that song. Um, We'll get into it with the yeah. um, the the documentary for the next episode because there's yeah. a massive amount of the documentary that is the Fox News stuff. Yes, but it also it makes me think. So the you know there's the Fox News stuff, which I mean obviously we'll talk about, but that that you know are, are almost always arguments in bad faith, right? Mm-hmm. But like it also reminded me, this is an example of something that I think is happening a lot nowadays in the culture, which is just like zero like media literacy yeah like the assumption that if an artist whether they be a musician an author a screenwriter whoever if an artist writes about something depicting a point of view then that person must in real life be endorsing that point of view that shit drives me insane because it's like nuance no nuance at all like you can't write a story that has a racist in it you know what i mean even though there are racists in real life and some of the most powerful stories of all time have been stories that fictionalized racists, but like an author today does that and they get accused of being a racist. Right. And I think there was similar things happened even in like some of the non Fox news reactions to, to John Walker's blues um, where just the idea of writing from first person from John Walker's perspective like, you know, was was considered this like, oh, you must are are you fucking endorsing the Taliban? <laughs> you know what I mean? Which it's like, obviously not. But the way, and I think it freaks people out that he put the Arabic part in there mm-hmm. because people are just deeply uncomfortable with that. Oh yes, you know. But I think that's one of the things that makes the song really fucking cool. Yeah. Um, no, it's it feels real. Yeah. It feels incredibly real and it's not like it, it's a completely unafraid song. And I think that's so cool. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the, uh, the the one of the, the things in the book, it's got a, a good amount of discussion um, about this in a lot of different, um, I guess, quotes from people who were covering things. Uh, this thing's from the New York Post. Um Headlined, uh, Twisted Ballad Honors Talirat, writer Ali Sujo com- uh, claimed erroneously that the song glorified Walker Lind and called him Jesus-like. With that, the floodgates open as the Wall Street Journal, Fox News, CNN, and all con- the conservative radio commentators quickly fit the battle. Not a one of them paused from their heated rhetoric to consider what Ian Bruce of the world socialist web called a legal and human rights tragedy from the outset. Love that. It's 
gets brought up as the only voice of reason. And I'm sure it, on a on a website that looked like it was made in 1983. Yes, I'm sure. Yeah. Like I would have been reading it religiously in 2002. Yeah, yeah. big GeoCities energy coming. Yeah. In also, they did the thing where they put the website like the wsws.com in this book. I love. Hell yeah! I'm gonna book. I'm gonna click on the link. Yeah, I'm gonna my click book. this. <laughs> it's not working. <laughs> um, but uh, so this is. Um, this is something that was on CNN's Talk Back Live, hosted by Kathleen Kennedy and featured uh, as guest Nashville radio host Steve Gill um, and No Depression magazine Grant Alden. After listening to a snippet of the song, Kennedy asked her guests, guests what they thought of it. Gill said, I think it's outrageous, in particular when, in particularly when we're still within one year of September 11th attacks on America. This is a sympathetic, glorifying approach to John Taliban Walker. The guy's a traitor to his country, and I think, frankly, Steve Roll was trying to push the edge of the envelope, but it's time for the American people to push back. Alden says, I think that's making a lot out of not very much. It doesn't glorify him. The song is just a blues, is a blues, not a ballad. And what it argues is that John Walker is a slightly more complicated character than we know at this point. I don't think it's a radical statement, but apparently it is now. Gil countered to the statement so outlandish it would be comical if it weren't so repugnant and misguided. Hitler, he said, may mm. have been a more complicated man than anyone knew, but what American would have tolerated a sympathetic view of Der Fuhrer during World War II or a Japanese Zero fighter pilot? They love bringing up Hitler, dude. Dude, he didn't wait right out the second line out yep, of his mouth. Second line. He had yeah. to bring up Hitler. Yep. Um, and that's one of the really silly things that come up in this discussion. He's not drawing the comparison Alden countered adding sensibly if in my if my limited understanding of islam is correct the muslims believe that jesus christ was a prophet and a martyr and the link being made in the song is that jesus is is that christ if not walker lynn dies in his jihad he will rise to heaven as a martyr that's all it says and like i love that line in the song of addressing how islam views jesus yeah that's important like, cuz that gets forgotten you say peace be upon him every time you mention his name. Every time. Yeah. I know. It's and that's how they feel. Yeah. Even yeah. the fundamentalist ones. Absolutely. That's how they feel about Jesus. Like the person, the the you know, the religious leader we view so so well in this country. Um, at that point, an audience member chimed in, noting that if Steve had written and recorded the song in a Muslim country that practiced Islamic law referred to that country as the land of the infidel, he would have his tongue cut out or his hand chopped off. You know, he could come and write it here and we can just kind of say, oh, well. Well, but but you're not. And and also, that's, and also, yeah, you're not. And also, you, that's racist. I know. It is deeply racist, <laughs> but that's the funniest thing is they say that and I'm like, but if that's what we were doing, then why would we be on a fucking CNN show talking about the song yeah. then? Yeah, you're right? not. You're telling him he's terrible and a terrible yeah. person. You're not saying, oh, well, you're not you're, moving on. You're, you're not respecting to, his freedom of speech. Right. You're trying to ruin his career, get him blacklisted like, fuck. Yeah. Uh, all of them again, striving for the higher ground. Isn't one of the things that makes us actually a good place to live is that we invite different opinions as part of our public discourse. Isn't that kind of the whole idea? Gill and his retort. In the typical right-wing gambit, responded to, responded not to the issue at hand, but raised and said another issue that was tangentially at best and had nothing to do with Steve Rolls' obligations 
uh, whatever those might be as an artist. I'm almost to the end of it, too. It certainly does sound like the guy that's being glorified by Steve Earle was certainly a guy that Steve Earle found sympathy with, Gil said. My sympathy is with the is on the other side or with Mike Spann, who was killed by the allies of John Walker. And if John Walker had told the U.S. troops that had him in custody that some of his fellow Talibanites had weapons and were planning an uprising, that prison revolt or, uh, or an uprising in that prison revolt, that perhaps Mike Spann wouldn't be dead and his family wouldn't have fatherless children and a widow trying to make do in Alabama. Well, why is he here in the, there in the first place, man? Um all of which is utterly irrelevant to the discussion as to whether or not Steve Earle should have recorded the song or not out encountered. Uh, infatigable, Gills shot back, tossing the requisite right-wing T-bomb to boot. Maybe Steve could have done a song from the perspective of Mike Spann and shown sympathy with him instead of this traitor to America. Traitor. Yeah, I, I mean... Like, you why know, don't you write the song about the, the, the Patriot? The fourth verse... That's just about fuck Mike Spann. You know, that that's probably. Yeah, that's probably what did it for him. I I don't have that on my version of the record, but apparently that's what. uh, That's all he heard. Mr. Nashville Radio Man was hearing. Shout out to what the guy from No Depression magazine. Yeah. I used to I used to thumb through that in Barnes and Noble, but never actually purchased one. Um, That's so cool. Sounds like a good dude. Um, (laughs) Yeah, no, he really tried hard. That's that's awesome. Um, yeah, literally my only thought on John Walker's blues, other than what we've said is, uh, I wrote this song is another one in a long line of his songs that bummed me the fuck out. Right. It's like, <laughs> it's putting aside all of the idiot, bad faith reactions to the song, the song itself, man, like, you know, there's, there's something there about like what, what this kid was looking for. Right. Mm -hmm. And again, God damn it. It wasn't here. It wasn't here. And none of that justifies for a goddamn second any of the things he did. Mm -mm. But it it just. But what if we gave him something to believe in here? Right. Exactly. What if there was a what if there was a more communal based uh, society in which people actually talked to each other and cared about each other and looked out for each other? In which, uh, you know, boys who don't look like other boys could feel like they all still need, you know, could hang out and play fucking soccer I mean, or, right, or fucking video games, Anything, or you know, yeah. not be looked down upon. The other, the other thing is, I mean, you want to talk about feeling old, man. Dude's already out. <laughs> John Walker Lind was released on May 23rd, 2019, for good behavior from the Terre Haute, Indiana Federal Prison prior to the end of his 20-year sentence. That's awesome. Um, I didn't know that. That's cool. Yeah. Good for him. He, he, and then he's actually already done with his probation. He is a completely free man at this point. His probation ended in 2022. Um, and so I don't know where he is. I, I wish him peace. But yeah, this, this man served his full fucking sentence over this the period of time. After that song came it's out, so fucking crazy. Yeah, damn this this record needs a resurgence, dude. It does for many reasons, um, but yeah. So we 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 will have a lot more to say on on John Walker's blues and just the the cultural phenomenon of you know th- this was Steve a new. I mean, he had always been the outlaw. He really right. stepped and, in it here, though. 
And yeah, and 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 I think it went from like outlaw, okay, anti-death penalty activist, you know, like anti-war, anti-war advocate for, you know, like working people for farmers, to now like in the crosshairs of like the right-wing outrage machine, is where he went. Um, but it it certainly built his fucking profile. Yep. <laughs> a lot lot more people were talking about Steve Earle. Um, than before after this song came out. Shall we move, move on? on? To, move on to the kind. The kind. So it's a it's an interesting step from John Walker's blues to this because this is this I think feels it's delightful like, after, after it it, it is delightful. This is classic Earl, yeah. which he has he has not been doing on this record up to this point. Mm-hmm. So to me, this is the first of the songs off of Jerusalem that feels like it could potentially fit on some of the other records no for sure it definitely feels like an of el corazon or of uh um i mean also even some of the records after this i mean i guess it i I don't know how much it would fit it wouldn't fit on any of the early records but definitely of these comeback records this Mm -hmm. song fits i love just like the three parts of it the little just three stories yeah i think it's i think it's i think it's sweet um, I think the themes he plays with are really nice and they're they all all the sentiments fit together really well um in the dude I mean not I don't want to move on immediately unless you want to talk about if you unless if you want to talk about the song more but the harmonium tease for the next song at the end that rolls. is fucking brilliant it that rolls. fucking rocks dude it's yeah, so man. cool and this that's and this is why I like this record so much is because we're we're almost halfway through it and all of these songs have fit and flowed and made so much sense together. I think, yeah, yeah, in a way that, like, I think it's a really well planned record, and I've got that to say later too. But I, I really do like this song. I think it's, it's not like you know going on the playlist, but it's not getting skipped. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you, and I, I am ready to move on to what's a simple man to do because the kind is a great song, but it's like that transition. I wrote the same thing, and it's this so next awesome. song. The transition is awesome. And I, and I think this it's so notable too, because here's a place where also for the first time in a while, Steve brings out some of the like the Texas that, yeah, the, the San Antonio Tex-Mex mm-hmm. influence. Oh, it's so fun, um, dude. It's such a fun song. I love this song, dude. There's, it's almost like it is a border town version of Atlantic city by Bruce Springsteen. If you think I theme can, wise, yeah, you know, kind of almost like, I tried to do honest work, but they wouldn't let me. So what the fuck am I supposed to do? Yeah, um, dude. Oh, I love it, dude. I think the the vocals on it are so catchy. The rhythms are so good. Um, I think Texas Tornadoes, dude, I hear that so much in this. And it's not just like the the, inc- the incorporation of all the extra instruments in it. It's mm. just, it's got a lively, you're right, dude. It's, it's, it's that San Antonio sound. It's, he's going back to Texas for this song and it's, it is fun. It is a lively fucking song. Yeah. It's, it's, I love it. It's one of my top tracks on the record. Yeah. And, it's so fun. I'm glad you like this one. I, I feel like yeah. I know maybe one of the, the, I'm, I'm really going to be sad if the song that I love so much is a song that you're out on. But God, uh, yeah, no, I'm glad you're on, on well, board for this song. It's good. I have good news. I'm not out on anything else for okay. the rest of the record. So that's good news. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I was so struck by, I mean, and he he does it in such an authentic way. It's like, an explosion. 
Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and again, the way that this record is able to do transitions and contrasts. Mm -hmm. I mean, the next song. <laughs> you go into the truth, which is fucking haunting. Oh, um, and I just want to say, because like behind the curtain, we've had to delay this episode so many times. I've listened to this record possibly more than I've listened to any of these records in preparation for this podcast. And right now we're talking about it and I want to listen to it right now. Dude, same. <laughs> like it's making me, I mean, each episode would be four hours long, but it's almost making me wish we would like, it would be almost like a play listening. the song and then yeah, talk play about the it. Song yeah. And then talk God. about it. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, it's good. But yeah, the truth, dude, love a good murder ballad. Uh, uh, <laughs> the, the banjo, which as you know, puts you off. Sometimes, sometimes. puts me <laughs> off. I fucking love it on this song. Oh, and similar um, to the opening track to Ashes to Ashes, some hard fucking lyrics. Oh, dude, it's there is this is an absolutely menacing song. Yeah, it is so cool. And it's so again, he's this is just as fucking real as John Walker's blues in mm -hmm. writing from the perspective. Right. Like he could have exactly like if. if if he wouldn't, this song could be about some other like nightmare person, but because he didn't like say their name. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like people aren't going to pick up on it. Right. Again, they're just, they're either totally incapable of any nuance or, you know, know that he's not actually glorifying something just by telling the story, but want to approach it in bad faith. Um, yeah. And even like one of the, like one line in this song that I feel like, like, fucking like i i say this as a person who i very much consider myself like a dirtbag left person but like people who are like disingenuously left wing can look at it and be like oh you know the line where he's like god forgive him because he doesn't see he's no less a prisoner because he holds a key and it's like like that's i feel like people can look at that and be like oh that's like duh that's fucking like feminism 101 like people you know talking about barbie like they don't fucking think it's fun and awesome and brilliant and amazing <laughs> but like to follow that line up with and god forbid he turns his back on me dude that's again whatever whatever so, like soft little fucking mealy mouth take you want to have on that line being like oh well everybody knows that it's like well he's turning around and saying like i will kill that guard yeah <laughs> which is hard there's something too, like the, that menacing is the right word, that menacing perspective. It's like the, the existentialism that Steve's able to write sometimes. It's like, and I can have great empathy for this other person because I know that they're just a fucking soul in a bag of flesh that found themselves on this fucked up planet just like me. And also... I'll fucking kill him if I have I'll to. Kill him Both of those things can happen. Both of those things can be true. I am able to see that the fear and the light inside of them is the same fear and light in me, and I am not afraid to destroy them if I have to. Yeah, <laughs> you dude, know, it's like fucking hard. And just it's such a good visual song too. Like yes. the way he describes it, like it's so, it's so well described to the point where again, dude, he made all this shit rhyme. Fuck him. Yeah. I, I got to read the the last stanza because do just, it. So for every wall you build around your fear, a thousand darker things are born in here. They're fed on contempt for all that you hold dear. The truth is, it doesn't matter what you do, till you gaze in the mirror with an eye that's true, 
and admit that what scares you is the me in you. That's Hard. so cool. That's so cool. I mean, because, dude, but that's the thing is like, I see where like so many people like are afraid to look at the prisons and like, like, I mean, it's, it's, it's the whole idea that people think like, well, without religion, people would just be killing each other. It's like, no, people could like not kill each other. Cause it's like not a good thing to do. Right. Um, but like people look at like criminals as like, like, you know, so other than themselves because they don't want to admit that they would be capable of the same crimes. The reason yes. I look at this shit is because I see so easily where I could do that. So I don't want that to happen to me. Dude, everything I do is from a very selfish place. <laughs> the reason I would like like a social safety net to prevent like people who are like on the street from like starving to death or freezing to death is because I'm afraid of that happening to me. Dude. And remember, we're a hell of a lot closer to that happening than we ever are to being millionaires. Yeah, I know? mean, but but at the end of the day, dude, all the things I like, I I tell people this, like when I'm doing like union uh, shit, I'm like, I'm like, dude, all the reasons I feel like the most of my solidarity comes from a selfish place. But I mean, it it yes, it's a selfish place, but it's also like it is a recognition of the shared fucking humanity, right? I guess, because I think. I, I, I like, but I think no. framing it as a selfish way, though, is is would is so. If if people can just be okay with being like, I'm being selfish right now. I really just care about myself, and then to cross that that over into, well, damn, if I could care about this other person and this happening to them, maybe if like enough of us did that, nothing would happen to any of us. And it's yeah. like. I feel like that's like the in my white brain in my white male brain, like that's the way to trick more white male idiots like me into being less selfless. <laughs> I mean, it it really could be that simple, though, man. Right. Because like yeah. the like there's nothing wrong with self-preservation. Right. No. Like that is like that. That's a it's a good thing. And it's like the, the reminders, like I'm constantly trying to give myself and other other people that work in like service and education and all kinds of stuff. Like if you are not taking good care of yourself, you can't fucking help anybody, you know, like those kinds of reminders. But I, there is so much there that's just about like, typically what is in the shared interests of people is ultimately going to be in your interest. Right. And I think that's like, I, I think about it when I, when I think about stuff like, advocating for higher wages right so like and and the basically like the fucked up games that capitalists play with people right because like they take a worldview right of like well you should be trying to earn as much as you can and you know all this kind of stuff and the second a group of workers like collectively is like yeah the work that we do is generating a lot of wealth and we deserve a greater share of that wealth all of a sudden um, you know, a thing where it's like, if we're just talking in theory, we're just saying from a collective standpoint, the same thing that you say, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Like you would, you negotiate. You told you, me that, if, that I should get a better job if, yeah. uh, if I want more money. Well, I'm or, saying I'm trying yeah, to make my job better, paying. make my job better. Or the whole, like, <laughs> if you don't like it, quit. Well, why yeah. is everybody quitting? You know, that kind of stuff. Uh -huh. Nobody then, wants to work anymore. When you do it, they throw a hissy fit. And it just shows you, though, how empty all of that stuff is, right? Mm -hmm. It's all bullshit. Um, but I do think there's something there, man. Like you can, 
you can call it selfishness, but I, but I, I do think a lot of people that, that end up becoming like hard, right. Or like ultra capitalists or things like that. They don't see that connect. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like they yeah. don't actually think like, Oh shit, that could be me. That, that, that doesn't enter the equation. Um, and it's really hard to work with that when they just see themselves as like in a different state of being than other folks. Um, you know, cause I'm it, like all of my politics is just based on this. Like we're all born fucking kicking and screaming and covered in blood. And none of us knew how we got here, why we're mm -hmm. here or anything like that. So then how could I make it, why make it worse for everybody right, else? Exactly. Exactly. We're all just as fucking scared and clueless. Um, so that, that goes from everything to like, why make it harder on anybody else to like, what right do you have to say that this piece of land that neither of us created is yours? You know, like all those things. Um, yeah. But a lot of people don't see the world that way. Obviously. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Uh, let's, uh, let's, let's bring out our girl, Cheryl Crow. Dude, uh, if it wasn't for this song, or if, if it wasn't for the song on this record that lines up with my politics exactly, this would be my favorite song on the record easily. I love this song. I love this song. It's <laughs> really good. Honestly, do you know my only gripe? I kind of wish Cheryl Crow just sang the whole thing. <laughs> Dude, it is like, so I'm, I'm curious with this song, did she write this song with him? It says co-written, yeah. Co-written, so okay. Steve because and it, Cheryl Crow together. Dude, it sounds so much like it could fit on any of her records. Mm. Like, dude, I love Cheryl Crow so much. Like, Sweet Rosalind, this is this is what I hear in this song so much. Like, I hear so much of her influence. in the guitar tone, too, is just exactly her guitar tone. I mean, she's a she's like the total package when it comes to a songwriter. So her her influence is definitely even in and that that says so much about her that even with a songwriting giant like Steve Earle, her voice she comes through influence. so hard, dude. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, it's so good. Um, I wrote this song falls in a category of songs that I feel like I can hear on an infinite repeat. Um, Can't Stop the Heartache by Skid Row. Nothing But a Good Time by Poison. Living After Midnight by Judas Priest. Can't Get Out of Bed by the Charlatans. Just a few examples. Dude. We got to talk about Skid Row more at some point. We do talk about Skid Row pretty often. I feel we like. do? This is like the third time I think Skid Row's come up on this podcast. I feel like I always want to talk more about Skid Row. Fuck. Yeah. It's so underrated. Incredible. Um, but yeah, dude. dude. Can't stop the hunt. Oh, and the riff. Oh, it's so good, dude. Legit. That, that, those, all those songs, though, are songs that I can listen to and then go, run it back. Run it back. Dude, fuck yeah. Just, again, and this song is one of those songs. Dude, I fucking love this song so much. Everything about it is perfect. The drums on this song. Yeah. Are phenomenal. It's, a, it's just a masterpiece. Absolutely. But I it's, agree. It's this, it's like the drums on Cheryl Crow records, though, which the tempo changes and stuff. She writes songs like punk and hardcore, straight up. Mm. I, like the slowdowns that she does. Yeah. Like whoever drums for her or whoever drummed for this song too understands how to play like punk shit. That rules. I I can totally hear that. And we've talked about it multiple times now. I've really got to dedicate some time to digging deeper into Cheryl Crow because everything I've I've heard, I dig. I mean, um, dude, the uh, Come On, Come On's perfect. Uh, 
the self-title is really good uh globe sessions that's the, it has the uh, sweet child of mine cover that was on the big mm-hmm. daddy soundtrack yeah that's a great cover <laughs> great cover man yeah i agree and that that song that i would i fawned over the difficult kind is the globe sessions too uh, uh, fucked up none of her records are on vinyl none that's wild none of them, none of them got a vinyl release hmm. or at least the early ones the new do you, ones do so what you're saying is ldb is gonna put i would on. love to do that <laughs> i would love to, i would love to make no money and do that it would be cool <laughs> you'd get to talk to cheryl crow that'd be cool. i would get to have it in my collection too that'd that be neat rules. um but yeah dude go amanda man what a fucking song great song it's a hit dude um it's a it's a legit hit Could... to have a hit on this much of a serious record too right yeah this record is so serious and then just be like you know what fuck it well and that's the thing like i, I think i read some stuff that was like jerusalem steve earl's concept album and i'm like that's a stretch man it's yeah. like there's yeah there's themes mm-hmm. and stuff and it definitely hits on the times it's got a that, message but i was like it's got a message but like I, it's not a concept album no but but i think that's because stuff like ashes to ashes john walker's blues jerusalem are so powerful that it overshadows some of the other tracks and some of the other tracks would be fucking number one hits on other albums yeah straight the fuck up dude you know, so God, I'm so glad you let go, Amanda. I was gonna be yeah. like devastated if I was like, I love this song, and you're like, it sucks. No, I don't think it I was sucks. gonna hit my head. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't think it sucks. And then I remember you, uh, not as good as Skid Rose. I remember you, um, this duet with Emilio Harris, but still a very good song. It um, is a good song, not as good as the Skid Row one, though. Yeah, um, it's. I there Steve and Amy Lou's voices are just so good together. Um, yeah, I think I don't have a lot to say about this song. I think it's just a damn good duet. Um, but I, it, it doesn't like rise to the top for me either. Yeah, no, I think I feel the same way. Um, I just think it's like a heart wrenching song. And, uh, I, uh, one thing I wrote is the guitar on this track kind of vibes like a more upbeat Lucero. I could um, hear that, which yeah. I wrote, which I think says more about Lucero because it still sounds really sad. That's true. And it's interesting to think too, because now we're at this, at a point where it's like Lucero was a contemporary. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. they were full on. I mean, this is Tennessee came out the same year as this record. Um, Yeah. I, uh, I I think one thing with this, this song too, though, um, sorry to interrupt you. um, No, you're good. But uh, I think I've been in, such a committed relationship for so long and you probably have too that like to remember back to when like a feeling like this was relevant to either of us but i can still remember this feeling being relevant to me like 10 years ago (laughs) yeah i mean it's it's longer than that for me but i i always get into this there's it's a weird nostalgia thing that comes too right because even you know listeners have, have had to hear me like wax poetic about you know the strangeness of of life as a you know person in their early 20s right after 9-11 um and it, it's it's just so weird to have this backdrop of so many fucking awful terrible things happening and me recognizing that as hard as parts of my life have been just the privilege that i had of like i was here i was safe i was like fucking going to shows and I was like dating people 
you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And like falling in love and, and all that kind of stuff. So like that stuff is mixed up with it too. Um, yeah. You know, dating someone that I, you know, used to argue with about Israel, <laughs> you know what I mean? So like it all like, you know, comes, comes back around and like the, the sort of like internal emotional experience and like the political climate, there's no separation, you know, yeah. it's, it's all there. I mean, dude, that's, uh, I mean, me and Ashton were talking about this the other day. Uh, one of the things I, we, cause we were watching, we were, I think we were watching love is blind and we, as one does, we pause it a ton of times to have like long discussions about the current state of, uh, the world. Um, and also like interpersonal relationships and dating relationships and what's healthy, what looks good, what, you know, looks bad. And, um, I realized I was like, dude, you know, what's awesome. I can't recall the last time either of us told the other one to calm down. Yeah, we don't do that. That's cool. <laughs> yeah, we don't do that. We like, we like get like, like, I guess I mean, there, I was like, of all the things like, like when you're having like a shitty time at work or like something's really frustrating you like nothing no part of me thinks like oh i need to like like i need to bring her down to like a chiller point like everything in me goes yeah that sucks and you should be mad about that. <laughs> yeah oh dude yeah we we rile each other up yeah it's and it, that's yeah. so healthy <laughs> it is i'll be like she said what to you fuck her yeah it's awesome, dude. It's a, that's and and that's like love. That's real love. Like yeah. that's that's I'm 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 so willing to go to the mat for you based on just how you feel about something. Oh and yeah, that's that's cool. And I don't know. I just I uh, yeah, I don't know how we got here, but uh, yeah, partners are great. I mean, partners are great, and I think we got here because it's again the theme of like. The, the the fullness of fucking humanity that Steve expresses on this record, mm -hmm. right? The dark places, the like biting social and political commentary, and then the go fucking Amanda. like yeah, and then go Amanda <laughs> and I remember you. You know what I mean? Like, fuck. Um. Well, we're working towards Jerusalem. I would say slouching towards Bethlehem slash Jerusalem, um, to put in a. Joan Didion reference. I'm very literary here. Um, that went right over my head, dude. Yeah, I, it didn't fully work because at first I was misremembering the title. It's slouching towards Bethlehem, not Jerusalem. And although they are both in the same part of the world, they're not the same place. Um, anyway, Shadowland. I'm so I'm so away from religion that you could have just lied to me. <laughs> it's and it's not a religious. Book I know at all, but oh, I'm saying like I'm so like religiously. Oh, like, yeah. you could have been like, yeah, Bethlehem and Jerusalem, same place. I'm like, oh, cool. That you is could, what is it? Is Bethlehem a county in Jerusalem? You could you could walk in between them, It'd be a long walk, but you could. Okay. Um, yeah. Um, I but yeah, Shadowland. Shadowland. Uh, another classic Earl Rocker. I probably have the least to say about this song than any song on the record. It's just um, high energy. I think it's, yeah. and it's, this is where I was like, I think Jerusalem is well designed because it does bring, after I remember you, it does bring the energy back up before yeah, I agree. Jerusalem so that you're paying attention for the, the main event, so to speak. Yes, um, absolutely. I do think the end of the song dropping to just guitar and vocals sounds really cool. I agree. And um, that's all I got on it. Yeah, it's not a skipper. It's not a skipper by any means, but I, it, even like 
Well, it's it's like hard for me to think about because like I know what's coming, but I can't yeah. remember. I I, I kind of wish I could remember a time like my first listen um, before. So yeah, it always just feels like a little bit of a prelude to like the yeah. the the behemoth of a of a final track on this record, which is Jerusalem. Um, and you know, Tyler and I ended at this at the beginning of this recording. So yeah, we're you know here it is, it's mid October, um, and we are obviously right in the thick of you know there was the. Uh, Hamas attack in southern Israel, and then the aftermath of that, which has been a pretty relentless uh, campaign of, of, of yeah siege, air assaults on Gaza, um, and you know very quickly turned into a planned humanitarian crisis. It wasn't like it became one; it was planned to be one because they cut off supplies, food, fuel. Um, water, electricity. Um, and currently that is the reality as we are, um, recording this today. And it's, you know, all the things that people say, and I'm especially experiencing it too. Like, I hate when people are like, well, as a parent, cause it's not like that makes one's feelings more valid. I do yeah. notice the children more mm -hmm. than I used to like half I, the population I, of Gaza is children. Yes. So. And so it, it's like, I, cause I think I have a lot more understanding of when you see that, you know, press photo of like, you know, the, the, the parent sitting there with the children, like all that they've been dealing with, even if not even around, like getting them to safety or whatever it might be, just like feeding, consoling, entertaining, changing fucking clothes, trying to keep them clean all those things, um, which I struggle with in a fucking, you know, all things considered extremely comfortable life. Um, and so that's been hitting me really, really hard. Um, but yeah, it's so how Tyler and I were texting, um, about this and it's just like, this is happening as you know, the, 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 the time comes sort of in our chronology that we would be discussing this very record. Um, yeah, it's pretty crazy. Yeah, it really is. It's pretty crazy because we were supposed to record this before this happened. Right. Like right right before, I think. And it's weird because um, it would have come out after <laughs> it happened. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's I've been having like a whole, a whole issue. Like I kind of asked Brian if he was cool with me talking about this. But uh, um, part of us doing this podcast came out of. Brian reaching out to me at a point when a bunch of people were telling me to kill myself on the internet um, because of something I said about the Ukraine war and just just trying to raise the question of is the right thing for us to do is to beat war drums when it could endanger more lives and also, I was trying to talk about how um, more or less like when um, so w what I said was was kind of chopped up on the Internet, too, because I said this in the middle of a set while I was out of breath and we were playing is my band Constraint. We have an anti-war song called Bullets Business about 
exactly that the the business of war and i the ukraine war had just started popping off and it had already started we were finding out like the snake island thing had happened and all those guys died but then they didn't die and then they were there was the ghost of kiev thing and mm-hmm. i was just seeing all of this propaganda beating this war drum for america to get involved knowing that if we escalate this and russia escalates it, it's just going to kill more ukrainians and more conscripted russians are going to be killed and you know all these all these young men are going to die um and civilians and if we can seek some sort of a peaceful solution which we never will because we make the money off of those arms sales um and that was all i was saying that's all i was saying was that like people are going to profit off of this death but i opened it up talking about israel and and gaza and the west bank and i said there's a lot of bombs being dropped on people right now well there's bombs being dropped on palestine all the time and people just care right now because the country is white and they're allied yeah with us and we have a we have a financial interest in maintaining in in promoting the the war to this because we actually we have a financial interest in supporting israel too because they pay us um and that was all i was saying but then one thing i did talk about was i addressed the fact that russia is going in to denazify ukraine and that was their excuse for it and i even said that and i said no they're going in for resources they like i thought at the moment i thought the war might end because they had opened up uh the um uh the water to crimea yeah it secured water like for crimea and that was something that that was something ukraine had been cutting off right to crimea they had the water supply and they were cutting that off to them and i thought the war might end because of that but then of course it's still going on because russia's bad and i i didn't say they weren't right um but i did say poorly i said well ukraine kind of sucks too the life expectancy is really low there and it was before the war so what do you think is going to happen if we support an escalated that was all i was saying was that and one of the things i also said and this is the thing is i tried to squeeze all this into two minutes yeah in between uh in between songs to talk about this and one of the things i addressed is Zelensky being Jewish mm-hmm. and that being something that people were bringing up to say well Ukrainians can't be Nazis their leader's a Jew and I was like that the, the right wing loves harnessing identity politics yeah when it's beneficial to them they're all about identity politics and but I mean any I even have a more like nuanced view on all this too now because time has happened and I've learned more and I know I should have worded things differently. I maybe shouldn't have said anything at all, but I was sick of, I'm always sick of people not saying anything. Yes. And, and I say this and it leads to not only that part where I talked about Palestine and Israel being cut out of the video that was circulated online. It opens with me saying Ukraine sucks. And then it goes from there to me talking about like, and then it cuts off early too. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, and it, uh, some people saw the video and thought, well, there seems like there's more context here. And uh, those people had a brain. And some people who may also have brains just jumped down my throat and told me to kill myself, called me a Nazi, called mm-hmm. me a Nazi sympathizer, called me all these different names. Um, but 
one thing I feel, and this is where like my feeling on the whole Hamas thing is and is and the Azov thing is when the most when the most organized and effective groups at violence and pushing back against an oppressor are the right-wing extremist groups they're gonna find support yeah unless there's an alternative a a leftist a a a inequality driven um force that was willing to do violence to help save people unless mm. that is presented the right-wing extremists are always going to hold that monopoly on violence mm-hmm. and it's hamas and it's the reason why azov was so glorified is because those kids had been in the fight in the streets fighting for years mm-hmm. and they looked cool yep to some people and they looked strong yeah so they looked like somebody you'd want to you'd want to get in a trench with you'd want to get in a in a fight behind and unfortunately we have done everything we can to execute and assassinate every left-wing organization in ukraine yeah and palestine and we helped israel do it because they knew this is the best way to keep these people divided and up and fighting each other to a certain extent yeah. And it's way easier to propagandize against them when they are fundamentalist Islam or they're neo-Nazis. Absolutely. It was not, first of all, Tyler, thank you for sharing all that. Um, and, you know, yeah, I think and people tried to ruin my life over that. Absolutely. Yeah, they fucking did. And there are probably, we have listeners uh, who who know that whole story and, you know, <clears throat> I would hopefully put in the category of people who have brains because they're still listening um and then there are other people that that you know might completely be news to them i'm thinking especially a lot of the folks who found us through more traditional country music channels um but to to just hit on that last point really quickly it wasn't even two years ago man that benjamin netanyahu the prime minister of israel said literally if one supports Palestine never having their own state, then you must support Hamas. Meaning exactly what you said, it is in Mm -hmm. the best interest of Israel and the Israeli government that Hamas are the ones that have the most power in a place like Gaza for those exact reasons, right? Because if it was, you know, a more equitable legitimate like you know more representative of palestine representative of the everyday working people with hopes and dreams of palestine instead of a you know a a a minority of extremists um who you know commit extreme acts of violence um then the world would rightly see the occupation for what it is right but if we're again able to make it look like all of Palestine, all of Gaza is Hamas, then it becomes a lot easier for people to fall in line behind this idea or behind what is actually happening, no matter what we say or not, like um, of, you know, war crimes and like the like wholesale leveling of homes. Make it a parking lot. 
yeah, make it a parking lot or, and, and, you know, even to the point of like telling, communicating with civilians in Gaza, telling them this route is a safe one to navigate to the South and then bombing that same route that's happening. That's literally happening today, this week. Those are war crimes. Um, And you can call them war crimes and call it oppression and call it um, ethnic cleansing, what it is without that meaning that you think it is a fucking good thing that Hamas, that Hamas killed people, right? Yeah. It's um, it's very simple. Dude, I saw a yeah. stat 7% of living Palestinians voted for Hamas. 7%. Yeah. In in specified living. Live and you have to when there's been so much fucking death even before like the you know this latest incursion, right? And like bef- like the since the last election, which was 2006, I think they said, mm-hmm. most kids have have never even had an opportunity to vote for something other than Hamas because the last elections weren't were so long ago. Like that's insane. Yeah. And Hamas ran on reform. Right. It is. It is actually. <laughs> they it's didn't not do even, it, but right. It's not even an opinion thing. It is just factually inaccurate to claim, like many people are doing, both in the U.S. and in Israel that Hamas somehow represented a majority of, of the will of the, the people of Gaza. Um, this is not did, true. Um, did you see that uh, that clip with Naftali Bennett being pressed? He yeah. couldn't believe it. Yeah. He couldn't believe he was being pressed. Yeah. He was like, are you kidding me right now? Mm-hmm. Like, you're seriously going to ask me about Palestinian civilians right now? And it's like, you need no more than that just to I mean, see like the disbelief, the the yeah. insult of the news to even ask them a genuine question. Yeah. I mean, and I'm, I'm seeing it in the most banal of places, man, like, you know, leaders of organizations, particularly like nonprofits that do service work, right. Are feeling all oh, this, pre- you got to make a statement. You got to say something. First of all, I hate that. Cause it's like, I don't actually need to hear you, your mm-hmm. opinion on this. I don't need another thing, but who will attempt to make, you know, the most anodyne, like, hey, the loss of any life is tragic. We are praying for, you know, d- just those mm-hmm. types of like, hey, the thoughts and prayers, right? The most meaningless yeah. like things, but just to be like, I got to say something I want to, and, and and typically saying like, I both, you know, condemn what Hamas is doing and what Hamas did and mourn the the loss of life in Gaza, like not even, and using more, using phrases loss like of life, loss of life, killed. like, right. Not like, not, yeah. yeah, not attributing the act of violence, right. Like acting like it's just a thing that happened. That's and the thing that pisses Ashton the most and, off when yeah, about this. Yeah. The passive, the cop speak, right. Mm-hmm. The, it's the officer involved shooting. Right. Um, but like folks are literally going around policing all that stuff um, to be like, you know, if you're not specifically basically like naming Jews and naming in a way that makes it like the most important thing here is Jewish suffering. Instead of thinking about all of the suffering, um, accusations of anti-Semitism, accusations of, oh, well, so you must support Hamas then, or, or even, even the simple act of putting any of this in any sort of historical context, um, is immediately equated with, oh, so you 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 think it's okay that, that that Hamas killed babies, and it's just the same tired bullshit 
that's been rolling out yeah, forever. I mean, dude, yeah. treating any group like a monolith is offensive. Like treating mm-hmm. all Jewish, like all Jewish people, like they represent Israel. Right. Well, and that's the other is, thing too is is anti-Semitic, and it's just as that, problematic of treating all Palestinians like they're Hamas. And it will, and it it goes into that too, right? Like the there are so many Jews who are very clear that the Israeli government does not speak for them. Um, and yet a lot of, a lot of Jews in Israel right now are blaming yeah, Netanyahu for abso- what happened. Absolutely. I mean, and that's the other thing too, like you, the, the most advanced security state in the world. And, you know, you were so busy trying to protect, you know, settlers in the West bank that this, you let this awful thing happen, um, right under your nose, um, at the Southern border, like all that is to say, um, just how quickly, you know, people who are experiencing clearly like fear, you know what I mean? Yeah. Or, and, and some, well, and, they've and, grown up in fear. They've been and, raised in fear. Right. Like have, Israel too. Israelis have been raised but, in fear. That's what I'm, other. that's what I'm talking about. Both Israelis yeah. and a lot of, you know, American Jewish people who either identify with Israel or like, you know, literally have dual citizenship or Mm -hmm. things like that are um, the way that that fear is manifesting is on like just an extreme policing of speech and like looking for any sign that proper deference is not being given to Israeli suffering. Um, and, And it is a form again, of dehumanizing Palestinians, because it is just sending like one of the the most powerful things I read well before this actually is from an amazing anti-Zionist Jewish writer here in New York. And she was like, my grandparents are Holocaust survivors. I just took home the message so clearly early on that like never again meant never again for anyone. Anyone. Yeah. Not just for Jews. And um, that is... That is not the way that the Israeli government operates. Um, yeah, I mean, dude, some of them are talking about a second Nakba. Yeah, something that uh, many of them which they fish- which they say the first one didn't happen. <laughs> they say it didn't happen, and then they say yeah. we want to finish it this time. Um, and these aren't right. That's the other thing that's different. These aren't just like extremists from the fringes of society. These are government officials. Yeah, there's that one um, guy who has the poster of the 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 guy who killed all those Palestinians. Yeah, uh, on committed- his wall. A literal massacre within uh, a, a mosque as people were praying. That's they, crazy. Like that's so. So anyway, that's like and, that's like that's like uh fucking um goddamn Jim Jordan having a picture of I don't know the the what, what, I can't I I'm glad I can't remember the kid but the kid who went to the black church and shot all those people like it's like having that kid. Dylan Roof no yeah Dylan Roof God I hate this, that I, I well God damn you for reminding me that kid's name this, I'd forgotten it. And this person actually killed more people than Dylan Roof. Um, uh, yeah, it, it, right. And, and Im- imagining if that was like, I say that except, as if Steve Scalise doesn't have Dylan. Roof I know. On his but but yeah, and oh, if it's... that's something that would not even that would be like, not just acceptable but lauded in 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 a lot yeah. of corners, right? And so all that is to say, this song, Jerusalem, right? Um, I love this song. It's a beautiful anti-war it, song, dude. It feels so disconnected from reality today. 
yeah. even though, but I mean, I think that means I probably need it more. Yeah. Um, it's incredibly empathetic, dude. There the two yeah. two things that I, I had written down just about um about this whole situation that I just wanted to touch on just to laugh, I guess, in the way that we have to at these things. Um, but uh did you see the Mehdi Hassan tweet that the is the Israeli Air Force posted like proud of what they've done to Gaza? Mm. Posted just like the just the hollowed out buildings and was like in Mehdi Hassan quote tweet and was like, they posted this because they were proud of what they did. That's crazy. It is. That's crazy. Mm. Um, and I can't remember whatever fucking um the the goddamn U.S. rep who the Democrat who said this was like Israel's 9-11 or whatever. Oh, God. Yeah. I and saw did that. The, he tried to do like the equivocating between the lives. He was I get what he was trying to do because like Israel's got less of a population. One, than one is worth a thousand Americans. Yeah. yeah. Something crazy like that. But uh, but it, I, I laughed because I thought about it later and I was like, damn, it really, though, kind of is Israel's 9-11 because it's like they funded this right wing or, or fundamentalist organization. Oh, yeah. And then years later, it. It dude, all came back. Dude, that is a very apt comparison. And it is like, yep, we funded the training of Osama bin Laden. The brave Mujahideen fighters. Yeah, right. There it is. And then similarly, like the Israeli government taking explicit action. And then not, not in secret, like I said, Netanyahu said this to yeah. be in like, it is in our interest that an extremist group like Hamas is in power rather than a more like legitimate egalitarian government in Gaza. And then this happens to the people that, you know, even if, you know, th that, that, that they were charged with protecting right. Yeah. Um, in Israel. So fucking amen. It's um, Steve, like, it's it's dude it's so fucking cool the 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 making these religious yeah differences invisible mm. in this song is so fucking beautiful i love that i mean and and the the language of no barricades no wire walls and we can wash all this blood from our hands um like yeah, it is. It is like I said. It is on a day like today, a week like this, feeling especially disconnected from reality. But that is, um, that is what voices for peace do, and that is what voices for revolution do. Is at a time when, um, it seems the most outlandish, they call for shared humanity. Um, and. Yeah, Steve. dude. I mean, the fucking line that I believe that one day all the children of Abraham will lay down their swords forever in Jerusalem. That's so sweet. It's it is very sweet. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a it's it's not just like optimistic, idealistic. It's also just a very beautiful and sweet line. It's so sweet, dude. I like the the opening lyrics to the song. I woke up this morning and none of the news was good. Death machines were rumbling across the ground where Jesus stood. And the man on the TV told me that it had always been that way. And there was nothing anyone could do or say. And I almost listened to him. Yeah, I almost lost my mind. Then I regained my senses again and looked into my heart to find. The, I, I, I almost listened to him. I almost lost my mind. That makes me feel so not alone. Yes. Every time I hear those lines in that song. Dude, I love it. 
And I love how explicitly he refuted the like the it's always been this way narrative. <laughs> yes. Because one because so one fucking God. Not even remotely true, right? Um, I mean, that's what I'd like. That's the other thing, folks. Like, look into the even the more recent history of Palestine. Look into the earth, you know, Jewish refugees from Europe who came to live in Palestine who weren't seeking to like build a, a settler state around the folks that were or on top of the folks that were already there. They were welcomed. Like, I mean, dude, this kibbutzes could, or whatever yeah. were like incredible. They were inc so models, right? <laughs> egalitarian life, right? Be before this became, you know, like a, I mean, you you can always typically trace it all back to British colonialism, but before it became the business of the British giving people land that they had no right to ever give anyway, like there was a lot of evidence that there could have been a very like peaceful and democratic um society secular you know, state secular state you know that would include jews muslims christians refugees from the holocaust in europe arab families that had been on the land for generations um but that's not <clears throat> that's not what zionism was and or nor is and um and they've sold us this narrative that the only way to keep Jewish people safe was at the expense of other people's safety and freedom. And I just, we obviously reject that. And I think um, shout out to especially the people who are Jewish themselves who reject that because they're the most powerful voices right now. They're the most powerful voices. And frankly, they're some of the ones that take the most shit, um, mm -hmm. you know, and get called self-hating and all of these other awful things um, just for, acknowledging the humanity of of the the folks on that land so um, yeah dude i mean the also the other line man but i believe there will come a day when the lion and the lamb will lie down in peace together in jerusalem that's so sweet it is i mean and that is that's amazing th th that that's <laughs> the stuff that like at the end of the, is you know <clears throat> the 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 religious stuff that you know, even though I don't believe, I still kind of feel like a, a sucker for like that ultimate like vision of like humanity restored to what it could be, right? Um, so yeah, yeah, no, it's fucking beautiful, man. Um, goddamn, this was a ride. Yeah. Um, and and we appreciate you taking it with us. Um, I think. We'll have a lot more to say both about this time period and in, in Steve's career and generally, but um Yeah. We're gonna take a little bit of a detour and talk the documentary and talk yep. uh the live record of around this time just yeah, to man. kind of sit with this a little bit more. So I'm sure we'll have yeah. some more conversations about this. Um I do wanna uh, end on a on a on something of a brighter um a brighter note, uh in it. encouraging people to uh write the podcast. Uh, yeah just we don't ask you to do this very much but just you know if you're listening to it on spotify give it a give it a rating give it a rating that shit helps yeah. um uh if you're listening to it on apple um i i recently did this for the every movie is good podcast that my buddies joey and casey uh from the pacific northwest do it's a great podcast where they talk about movies as if they're all good even if they didn't like it um i love that 
usually they like it actually but um it's a very fun podcast but uh i rated it on apple Podcasts, even though i don't use apple podcasts and i left a uh i left a like a review but instead of writing a review i just wrote all the lyrics to all-star and then the singer of smash mouth died whoa so So if you want to kill a 90s (laughs) pop pop rock celebrity nothing's stopping any of you from leaving a review of all the lyrics to kryptonite by three doors down on (laughs) our podcast so when Trump is inevitably reelected, he has to find someone else to play this inauguration. Play the inauguration. Uh, he won't have to look too far. Um, but oh god. But three doors down won't be available. At least three doors down won't be available. Yo, you saying that, man? Made me realize for the, I, I looked at our ratings on Apple for the first time. Sick. Shout out Christian Pittman. That was a really nice review. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, that's awesome. And thank you all for listening. Um take care of each other. And uh, if you haven't recently listened to fucking Jerusalem by Steve Earle, relevant. It's still special. Still special, still relevant. Excellent record. All right, y'all. Peace. Later.